listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. This gospel story all begins predictably enough. A lawyer stands to test Jesus with a question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in good rabbinical fashion, Jesus answers the lawyer's question with a question, asking him what is written in the law, the Torah. What do you read there? So the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's from the book of Deuteronomy. And love your neighbor as yourself, that's from Leviticus. Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Done. A Torah scholar and this roving rabbi from Galilee have engaged an important question in good Jewish fashion, going back and forth with questions and landing in the Torah for a good, solid answer. Anyone else have something they'd like to ask? Well, as it turns out, the lawyer still has one more question. And who is my neighbor? Now Luke says that the lawyer asked this question because he wanted to, quote, justify himself. Which N.T. Wright interprets as meaning that he wanted to win the point. Eugene Peterson suggests it meant the lawyer was looking for a loophole. We can't really know for sure, of course, what all motivated the lawyer. Maybe it was little more than the need to pin down the, the details in such a way as to demonstrate that he was indeed a good, neighbor-loving sort of guy. But here Jesus comes back at him with a parable. It's a parable that has become so familiar that we can easily miss the audacity of its claim. Robert Capon calls it, quote, a parable that is unguardedly offensive in its exaltation of a Samaritan hero. I'm betting that lawyer walked away feeling at least a little bit offended, if not downright appalled at the thought that he'd just been bested by a story in which a priest and a Levite are put to shame by a despised Samaritan. Remember, Jews and Samaritans would not have contact one with another. They lived with a divide in which the other was always the other, religiously, socially, culturally. But we don't see it as an appalling story, a surprising story, an offensive story, because to us, the term Good Samaritan is basically a synonym for a good, decent person who goes the extra mile. The sort of kind stranger who comes through in a big way, that's fine as far as it goes. But this parable holds more. So let me tell you a story. Some of you may have heard me tell this before. A couple of you even heard a much abbreviated version this past Wednesday at the midweek service at St. Luke's where we also read this parable. This story goes back 20 years. 
It begins at what was then the Anglican summer camp on an island in Lake of the Woods, where I was attending the annual clergy conference. Now, the speaker had not been very great. The accommodations of the camp were really rather spartan. Not much left of the mattresses. The bathroom was a hike up the hill from your cottages. I was kind of done. And at supper on the final night, I decided that if I could find a ride with somebody who was going home early, I would, I would I'd leave that evening. So I began to ask around, was anybody driving back to the city that night? Quickly discovered that David Whittacombe, who's the priest at St. Margaret's, was similarly impatient and ready to get away. <laughs> so he said, if you find a ride, I'll come too. After a bit of asking around, another priest offered to let us use her car, saying that she would then get a ride home the next morning with the person who'd driven me out there. Grand. So we were ferried across the lake from the island to the mainland, where the parking lot was, and we quickly located the car, the very tired and worn out car. The garbage can on wheels. <laughs> but you know, it was just for a two-hour drive home that evening. Fine. Or so we thought. As we left Ontario, if you know that stretch of the number one highway, you'll recognize this place. As we left Ontario, begin to climb that bit of a hill on the approach towards West Hawk Lake, and I was aware that the car was having trouble accelerating beyond 60 kilometers an hour. And as the sky continued to really darken, I could see that the headlights were more than just a little bit dim. A few kilometers west of Falcon Lake, the engine ground to a complete halt. We coasted to the side of the highway. Probably the alternator had given out, we thought, because there wasn't so much as an ounce of charge left in the battery. Now, this was 1999, and neither of us owned a cell phone. What to do on the side of the highway, just west of Falcon Lake, as the sun has gone down and it's getting really quite dark? I'll get us a ride, I said, with great confidence. <laughs> but apparently standing on the side of the number one highway beside a run-down car, just as the twilight is setting, makes one a singularly unattractive figure. No matter how high I held my thumb, well, and then thanks to the swarms of mosquitoes from the water-filled ditch, I lasted no more than about 20 minutes. Over the next hour or two, I tried a couple more times, but it only got darker, making us all the easier to ignore. So it was a very long night. When we'd set out from Kenora, David and I knew one another only in passing, in a sort of a colleague sort of a way. By the time the sun was rising, we knew each other very, very well. <laughs> With the sunrise, my confidence returned. So back out to the side of the highway, thumb raised high as I leaned against the trunk of the car, kind of exhausted hoping that somebody would stop. Now, there's not much traffic on the Trans-Canada Highway at 5 a.m. in the morning. And twice, cars zipped by without so much as giving me a glance. 
Then I saw in the distance a transport truck approaching. But knowing that it takes a good long length of, of highway for those to stop, to go from 100 kilometers an hour to a full stop, I didn't even lift my hand. Then I heard the air brakes. Turning, I saw that it had indeed stopped 100 feet down the highway. I ran down to meet the driver who said, you look like you're in a bit of trouble. Well, yeah. Good thing I'm running empty, because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to stop so quickly. Yep, we're in trouble, all right. Well, grab your stuff, and I'll drive you to the city. So we grabbed our bags and threw them in the back of the, of the trailer and climbed into the cab. Now, there's two seats in the cab, and then there was a box in between. I got the box. <laughs> David, being the senior priest, got the passenger seat. <laughs> As the driver began to gear up, he asked where we were coming from. Well, we were at a conference on an island in Lake of the Woods, I told him. You guys teachers or something? Uh, to which, right away, David said, yes, teachers. <laughs> Clearly not wanting to engage in an hour of awkward religious discourse at 5 a.m. in the morning. You find any good weed growing on that island? I hear there's a lot of it grows out there. No, 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 no weed. Ah, now you can insert the word of your choice here. Shucks. I can use a talk right now. Oh well, I got a bottle of Jack Daniels at home. Oh, I'll just wait till I get there. Breakfast, the champions. I could feel David tensing up. <laughs> then, as that driver lit the first of a seemingly endless string of cigarettes, he began to give voice to just about every racist, misogynist, prejudiced, objectionable opinion you could possibly. <laughs> Imagine. Told us a story of how his truck had broken down in a small town in the deep south. And he'd ended up spending the day drinking beer at a members only bar that had only one rule for membership no blacks. Except blacks wasn't the word of choice. Use your imagination. In that bar, he told us they talked about how the blacks, imaginations again, weren't a big deal in Canada, but we sure didn't like those people from Pakistan. But he didn't use that particular phrasing. At this point, I sense David pushing himself against the door as if considering an escape route. <laughs> then the driver talked about how he came across the border one time with a load of frozen pizza pots. The female customs officer had been a bit too slow for his liking. I said to her, why aren't you at home in the kitchen instead of here wasting my time? <laughs> well, apparently that customs inspector had not really liked that. So had put the truck through a thorough, thorough inspection, leaving the door on the freezer trailer open the whole time. He said, she's in there counting all those boxes. And I was so tempted to just slam the door shut and drive away. Just another pizza pot. David grew smaller in his seat. Well, that was just a sample, and it kept rolling on like that steadily. 
So he hit the perimeter and he lit what felt like his tent cigarette. He asked where in the city we were going, to St. Boniface, I told him. Ah, I'm heading for Elmwood, he said. I'll drop the rig at the depot on Aster and then drive you home in my own truck. Aster, I thought, that's a long way around, and I can almost see St. Boniface from here, but fine. But you know, he did drive up to Inkster Industrial Park, and he dropped off his big truck and loaded our stuff into the back of his pickup and put us in and then stopped at the nearest 7-Eleven to buy us, to buy us coffee on account of our long and sleepless night. He pulled up behind my house. My plan was to get us both dropped off and then I would drive David home. Pulled up behind my house and he unloaded our bags from the back of the pickup truck. I put out my hand to offer my thanks, but he just stepped back. He raised both hands and he said, don't even thank me. Just do something good for a trucker someday. And with that, he was off down the lane. I can never hear the parable of the Good Samaritan without thinking about that man. I mean, everything about our worlds, our attitudes, our views, meant that we were utterly other one to another. Yet it, it was he who stopped. It wasn't the minivans and the RVs and all those other vehicles that had passed us by. No, it was he who had stopped. Which of these three, Jesus had asked the lawyer, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The trucker's name was Ben, and as it turns out, he was indeed my neighbor. I strive to do likewise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church, or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.